citizens. This is Citizens of Tech Show number three, recorded on the 12th of May, 2015. And hey, we've gotten some good feedback on the show, so now you can tweet us at Citizens of Tech. And that is going to be the best way to talk to us because our inboxes are already kind of full. So hey, let's keep it on the Twitters, at Citizens of Tech. I am Ethan Banks. You can follow me at EC Banks. And joining me, wearing a miter and with an air of suffused dignity, Eric Sutfin ministers technology oracles to you and joins me on the microphone. Yes, indeed. Here I am. Although I, I, I think I left my miter at home today, unfortunately. <laughs> it's because but. you're already too friggin' tall. What are you, 6'3"? 6'2". <laughs> six six yeah. six put a miter on your head and you're like... He's a giant. I'm Abe Lincoln. <laughs> uh, yes, Eric Zutphen is my name. You can follow me on Twitter at Zutphen, Z-U-T-F-E-N. You can also visit my blog at Zutphen.com and read all the ramblings of my mind. So we, uh, I thought I'd put a request out to you guys that are listening to the show. We would love to have more interaction from, uh, from those of you that are listening. And so here's a simple one. We're looking for some good book recommendations. Tons of stuff to read out there. And those of you that listen to this kind of a show are probably readers in some capacity or another. Anything you've got that you'd like to share with your fellow citizens, let us know. And we'll read out the best recommendations that you've got uh, in show number four or five, depending on how long it takes to get stuff back from you. So here's the setup of the show. If you're uh, just tuning in, citizens of tech runs in three segments we talk about the present the we past. talk about the past and then, <laughs> then we talk about the future <laughs> present past and future so we start off with kind of the newsy tech things we uh we thought were interesting then we take a look back and uh and, and check out past tech that we thought was cool or think is cool and then we peer over the horizon to technology that is coming soon or soon ish you know something that seems realistic that we could actually see it uh come at least in our lifetimes all right, so let's start out with uh, the present. And here's something I ran into on the uh, the Tim Ferriss show. Um, if, you, if you don't know who Tim Ferriss is, he's the guy that wrote the Four Hour Work Week and the Four Hour Body and the Four Hour Chef, and he's kind of got a theme there with the Four Hour stuff. <laughs> and he's kind of into life hacking and a lot of other you know, body hacking, and and uh, he's kind of an interesting guy. He knows a lot of interesting people, and uh, one of his sponsors somewhere along the way was Exoprotein. Like, what is Exoprotein? Well, exoprotein is a protein that is made from crickets. Cricket. Like, yeah. Cricket. 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 Like bugs. <laughs> right. Well, like exactly. Like like crickets. And I'm going, you know, so the default – I tried this out on my wife. I said, hey, there's this company called exoprotein. They make these protein bars and they're made from crickets. And what do you think of that? And her response was – you <laughs> it's kind of automatically. So then the question becomes, why crickets? And, uh, and, and so let me read a bit from their, their website because they have a web page, you know, exoprotein.com slash y-crickets. While the consumption of insects has gained renewed attention recently, it is in fact nothing new. As eclectic omnivores, it's likely that humans have consumed insects, the most abundant terrestrial life form excluding bacteria, for an exceedingly long time. Today, 80% of the world still eats over 1,600 species of insects, from Jinglid in Thailand to Eskimos in Mexico to Kazumarzu in Italy. Eating insects simply makes sense. But but there's a bigger point here. There's a more, I don't know if you want to call it an ethical concern, but, um, but th there's a little more to the story than just, hey, we've been eating bugs for a long time, so we should keep eating bugs. <laughs> and, and here's the rest of the story. Um, as, they, as they put it, as exoprotein sites put it, insects are exceptionally nutritious. They have a marginal environmental impact. And that's the key thing here. We need a new source of protein, one that can sustain the food into the future. So, I mean, human beings, we get our protein from meat typically, which is a challenge. You got to farm it, you got to raise it, you got to feed it, and then you got to slaughter it, bring it to market and all that stuff. And bugs uh, are actually a little easier to deal with in that front. They, they kind of just breed on their own, whether you like it or not. So why not take <laughs> advantage of it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I checked out this link and when I was reading on the site, there's a, there's a breakdown on the site of, you know, the amount of water required to get one pound of protein from any given animal. And so there's cows and I think that was 572 gallons of water per pound of meat. And then, you know, there was chicken and pork, I think were the other two. And they sort of went down, you know, from cow to, to pig to chicken and then cricket. And it was like a fraction, literally cut into hundreds yeah. chunks yeah. of 
the amount of water and feed and, and all that required. So, you know, this, this makes sense. The other, the other big thing is the greenhouse gas production chart that's right. on the site, yeah. because so I this, mean, this goes back to the cow flatulence yeah, problem for anyone that doesn't know cows break wind a lot and they actually <laughs> generate more, uh, greenhouse gases than all the cars on the road. That that's a real thing. We're not making that up. This has actually been known for for a while now. And so the, the this would be if you were a vegetarian or a vegan, you could you know raise this as a flag. See, we're ruining the earth because we eat meat. But you know, now I'm not that far. I still enjoy steak. It's delicious. Let's face it. <laughs> and it's warm up here in New Hampshire now. And I've had the grill out and have enjoyed some burgers. Absolutely fabulous. But this cricket idea is. Um, it's interesting. Anyway, exoprotein.com. You can head over there. They've got some protein bars that you can order and try out. And by all accounts, they're over. they're okay. I haven't tried them yet. But uh, now, Eric, you had found an article here about uh, Wikimedia that they actually have tons of cash. These these are the Wikipedia people, right? Right. Yeah, it's the the nonprofit organization behind Wik- Wikipedia. Apparently, you know. It, if you use Wikipedia, chances are you see their annual fundraiser. You know, if everyone donated three dollars, this would be over in fourteen minutes or something like that. Our programmers you know? wouldn't have to live in cardboard boxes, right? Like they do, apparently. Yeah, not so much. Um, it, it costs the Wikimedia Foundation approximately two and a half million dollars a year to run the servers and you know content distribution network and, Which is and not, not nothing, but not a lot. Right, and and they do have staff salaries on top of that. I mean, two point five million is the infrastructure cost. Oh, I got. Yeah, okay. But still, uh, they're sitting on $53 million in semi-liquid funds that are sitting in investment funds right now, gaining interest and all that. So technically, they're all set for probably at least 10 or 20 years, uh, depending on what interest rates they're getting and, and so forth. So, oh, yeah, okay. So $53 million in investments, if they were earning 5% on those investments over the course of the year, that would be enough for at least the infrastructure costs. Right. Just yeah, off of interest. Right out of the gate. Right. So, so, But they're continuing to run these donation drives and setting these target goal amounts and things like that and to the point where even Wikimedia employees are saying, why are we doing this? So so it's, it, I guess it's like anything. If you are being asked for money from something, whether it's a worthy goal, uh, worthy cause or not, and something you believe in, maybe it's worth checking out what their finance, financial situation is. I, yeah. I mean, it's due diligence more than anything else. You should know what you're donating to and why. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that because they have $53 million in assets, you shouldn't donate to them. You know, to, to a degree, they are insuring themselves against the future by, you know, accruing interest-bearing amounts. But at the same time, yeah, just be aware not everyone on Kickstarter needs your 40 bucks or whatever, or, you know, the donation drive that's running on their website, <laughs> I guess is what I'm getting at. So speaking of finances and money and stuff, there's a blog that I've been following for a while that I thought I would bring to the attention of the good citizens of tech. And that is the Mr. Money Mustache blog, MrMoneyMustache.com. Such a good name. <laughs> so, 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 so let me give you some perspective here. I am 42. And I have been working one or two jobs most of my life. Uh, If I've had a main job, I've always had a side gig, something. I I used to host uh, websites out of my basement way back in the day when it made sense to be able to do that. (laughs) When you could make money. Uh, Yeah, right. Before GoDaddy showed up and said, we'll do that for $2 a month. I cannot compete with that. I can't scale. This old server in my basement just can't handle any more sites. (laughs) Crap. So, yeah, I mean, I did stuff like that. Uh, I consulted on the side. If I had a day job doing something else, sure. I'd have a few customers there uh, and so on. The, the goal has always been for me to try to get to a point where I didn't have to worry about money and getting my debts paid off and, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so let's fast forward to the MrMoneyMustache.com blog. This guy is someone who retired in his 30s, I think. And by retire, I, I you know, his, his blog isn't really about retirement. It's really about financial independence. And I'll make the distinction there that if you uh, – just because you are in a position where you don't have to work because you've got enough money and investments to sustain your life and your lifestyle mm-hmm. doesn't mean you – aren't working. Right. It just means you have the option whether to work or not. You can choose what you do, when you do it, you know, work part time here for three days a week or, you know, what, what, what have you. Yeah. If you want to sit in your butt and play video games, 
You can, if you want to work, you can. And the money isn't the driving concern in your life where you have to have enough of it to continue moving ahead. So his site is about how to get to that point. So he talks quite a bit about how he did it uh, and he and his wife. And, uh, and then he recommends changes to what I would describe as the first world lifestyle that we all kind of take for granted that, uh, that you can do that helps you save your money more than spend your money. And I guess that would be at the crux of this whole site, really, you know, save your money, stop spending your money. And when you've got enough money saved, then I guess you can do whatever you want. Um, and so, so here's some major ideas. Um, think about your money as little soldiers that can work for you, build a mighty army and that would be growing your stash, which is where what his whole website is. You know, the, the money mustache, growing your stash, your, yep. your stash of cash, your your uh, money mustache. Get I it? see what he uh, did there. I see what he did. Right. It's clever. Right. So every if, if, if you think of money in that way as an asset that can work for you, you're going to want to hold on to as much of it as you can rather than spending it at uh, fast food mm. and, uh, you know, luxury automobiles and things that maybe you can afford or at least finance to the point that you can afford as opposed to why do I need all this crap yep. and then uh, saving it? And I'll tell you, I had an epiphany a while ago. Um, Eric's looking at me with raised eyebrows right now. <laughs> Ooh, an <laughs> well, epiphany. <laughs> I know. Big, 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 big word. Well, I was sitting here in my office and behind me was a stack of Amazon boxes. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, you get gadgets and they come in these little boxes or you get books and they come in a box or you get whatever you get. And there's something about Amazon that's fairly addictive. It's easy. It's convenient. I'm an Amazon Prime member. Oh, I have some teeny tiny minor inconvenience in my life. I can go to Amazon and solve that and problem. For $12, I can solve that. And then you end up with a stack of boxes in the corner of your office. And it's like, I have a problem. I, <laughs> I think I really have a problem. Every time you walk in the room, the Amazon boxes are like, you got a problem, mister. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's and it's completely not cool. It's so easy to spend the money. But all that money you spend adds up. So if I oh, look yeah. at my Amazon order history, it's like you said, it's $12 here and it's it's $20 there and it's $100 here. But it's dozens of times or what. And it, yeah. all of that adds up to thousands of dollars that I don't have anymore because right. I spent them on stuff I probably didn't need. And have broken or. <laughs> yeah, or, or technology that right is very temporary and runs out mm. and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's one thing. Buying stuff you don't need is a major idea of the. Uh, Mr. Money Mustache, Money, Mr. Money Mustache blog. Another thing, he he just to kind of give you a, a sense of how he thinks. He would tell you that budgets are dumb, which is really counterintuitive because you're like, oh, if I make a budget, I'll be a very disciplined spender. Uh, yeah, but I, I get where he's coming from on that. I mean, if you think back to agrarian, the the agrarian thought process, you know, you you didn't say how much can I spend and make it by. It's let me store up everything and we'll see how much is left after I live. Which is exactly his point. He says budgets are like it, – it's like freedom to spend. You've just put a cap on it. That's all. And the point uh, isn't to you know spend up to a limit. It's to spend as little as possible. Mm. Therefore, every purchase is something that you carefully consider and you think about, do I need this? Is this going to make me happier? That that is your really the thought process you have, meaning budgets are, are just kind of a dumb way to think about things. Uh, another big part of his blog is that you should stop commuting. Don't drive 30 minutes or an hour to get to your job. Live close to your job. And if you are doing things in town, you shouldn't be taking the car. You should be riding a bike. And this dude rides all year round, even in the snow. And there's pictures of him doing it. He's he's not a wuss he's about hardcore, this at all. Yeah. Not at all. He lives in Colorado and uh, and it does snow and get really cold there. Um. And so he says cars have do have a purpose. They are for intra-city travel, or I'm sorry, intercity travel, going in between cities. And if you're not going in between cities, get your butt on a bike. You know, if you're shopping two, three miles from the house, get a bike trailer, go do your grocery shopping. That's that's how you do that. It's much more efficient. And and then he, he in one of his blog posts, he made a point that really resonated with me which was cars are an extraordinarily inefficient way mm. to get from point A to point B. You've got stoplights. You've got this 
uh, 3,000 plus ton automobile or a, a pound automobile that you're driving around and it takes a certain amount of energy just to move the thing, let alone to move you and your crap that's inside of it. <laughs> right. You're, you're burning fuel to, uh, uh, again, just at stoplights and stop signs and, uh, and so on and so on. Well, even, even, you know, the modern combustion engine is incredibly inefficient unless it's in the power band. Despite all the efficiency gains that have been made right. and all of the, uh, the, the hybrid vehicles and, and all the rest, all that stuff helps, but it's kind of like putting a bandaid over a leak in the dike. It's just, <laughs> you're still, it's a yeah. terrible waste of energy yeah. overall. So, so stop not commuting, using a bike much more as a big part of, uh, he, he says, if you really analyze how much it costs you to operate a car, you'd be shocked. Um, that said, frugal, if you're being frugal, doesn't mean you're cheap. You still spend money on the things that are worth spending money on. You know, he travels and he eats decent food and, you know, he doesn't live in a shack. He's got a very nice house and, you know, and all the rest. And, uh, uh you know, one more point here that, that I'll, I've taken from his blog is that doing it yourself is good. Anytime you can do it yourself, that is uh, a, a better option than farming it out to someone else. Stop paying other people to do what you could do if you took the time to learn it, because not only is it you save the money on that thing, whatever it was that you needed to make something or fix something, you also have a skill now that's valuable for the long term. So learn how to do some plumbing, learn how to do a little carpentry. Don't be scared of a paintbrush and get out and do your yard work, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and that really flies in the face of a, of a common working professional mindset. I work hard all week long and my time is valuable. Therefore, I shall pay someone else to mow my lawn and, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, that, that, that is a logic that's there, but uh, he flies in the face of that. And I guess I get it. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, time was when you used to have, you know, if, if you were even middle class 120 years ago or whatever, you had servants or at least employees where mm -hmm. you had a you could have a gardener or a cook or something like that but they they generally lived with you you know roomed with you or on your property things like that but the world has changed so much that that's just not the way things are anymore and so people have to su support themselves for their own mortgages and their you know rent the cost of in, of employing someone to do these tasks for you has risen yeah it's enormous I, I mean i hired out some work last fall to be done around my house it was enormously expensive i spent many thousands and you got a good um, deal on it even. And yeah, and th this was right. This was reasonably priced work, uh, but it just costs what it costs to uh, hire people out. Now, yep. if I had the skills to do that work, I could have done it myself. It might have taken me longer, a few weekends or something like that. But anyway, his his point is well uh, well taken there. Okay, so that's Mr. Money Mustache. Mr. Wow, that's hard to say. <laughs> Mr. Mumble Mouth. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Money Mustache.com's blog uh, well worth the read i've actually been reading it since the beginning i've gotten uh, i started all the way back at the beginning of his blog and i've gotten up to june 2013 i think so i'm, I'm getting i'm almost caught up two more years to go <laughs> you found something else pretty cool here i saw the uh, the world's most dangerous racing simulator yeah so basically if you want to throw everything you just talked about in that last segment about being fiscally responsible uh, out the window <laughs> You yeah. can own one of these. It's the world's most dangerous driving simulator. It's an F1 Formula One driving simulator. And this thing is just flat out amazing. And it should be because it costs. Well, it, it starts at fifty four thousand U.S. dollars. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. No, uh, so, <laughs> this thing is it's called the Motion Pro 2 from a Los Angeles based company called CXC Simulations. And this thing, it simulates basically every aspect of F1 racing that I know about now. So, I mean, we're talking about the physical attributes of this, too. It isn't just the the physics of the car on the track, which we've had some pretty amazing simulations for that for kind of a while now. You're talking about this is also the the the, the pod that you sit in and the seat belts that strap you in and all that kind of stuff is, is tied into the system. Everything is authentic. I mean, it simulates down to if you crash in the game. Well, OK, let me put this in context. If you crash into the wall in an F1 car. And you don't take your hands off the wheel when you crash, you break your wrists. Your wrists are going to snap. That's just the way it is. And Ethan is an F1 guy, and so you know he he knows all the background on this. But 
this simulates that to the point where it's not going to break your wrists. Yeah, but, they, but but it could. It's actually yeah. I, I maybe it maybe they actually could make it do it. I, I don't I think, know. I think I read the article. And it's going to hurt like anything. <laughs> he said if we dialed it up that high, it could actually oh, okay. do I that. That yeah. Um, but the, we just don't dial it up. And that there high. are actually you know there there's like active investigation into whether this is regulatorily safe for people to use ah! <laughs> oh, uh, because it could hypothetically injure someone. It's that realistic. Well, the, the, the G-forces of deceleration, when you, you brake in one of these cars, they're tightening up the straps around your body to simulate that feeling. Yeah, you're not getting the full, you know, full G-force effect on all your internal organs, but you are feeling all the pressure that you would feel in your five-point harness and all that. Mm. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it's simulating everything from, you know, the car is now two kilos lighter because you're low on fuel and the tires are slipping because they're, they're you know, wearing out and all of these... Uh, aspects of a real F1 racing experience are incorporated into this thing. So, yeah, if if anyone wants to, you know, tell Mr. Money Mustache to fly a kite, a really cheap <laughs> kite, mind you, and uh, run out and grab one of these $54,000 simulators and let us know how it is, because I'll never have one. <laughs> but it sounds wicked. I would like one very much. <laughs> So uh, TechCrunch was busy this week. Lots of uh, lots of content. Lots of articles. They had was it the Disrupt Conference? I forget what the name of their conference is. That uh, where they run a lot of startups through. Uh, we just picked out a few things and thought we'd go through them kind of rapid fire style. Now, one of the things I noticed on TechCrunch this week was not a gadget. It was Carly Fiorina from HP announcing that she is running for president. Yay! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well. Come on now, Eric, we've got another female candidate instead of uh, just Hillary. You've got Carly in the running as well. That's great. <laughs> in no particular way that you can think of. Yeah, I'm, I'm not anti-female president in any way, shape or form. Just I personally don't see what she brings to the table for the United States of America that wasn't learned by prior uh, track record at HP. So, so forgetting about the fact that that the novelty of, Oh, it's the girl and thinking about what she does bring to the table. I mean, I don't know that she's going to have as much luck just because she's a successful business leader as anyone else would or wouldn't. I don't know that that, I mean, okay. So, so can you run the federal government like a business? Some people would say, Oh yes, you absolutely can. And there are elements of budgets. There's elements of income and outflow and, and all of that. But one of the things I think we've all learned since 2008, when we had the big recession, was that economics is more complex than running your household budget or even running your business budget. Yep. You can, in fact, change things like the money supply, which the Federal Reserve Bank has done. You can do things like create money and then give that money in the form of loans out to other businesses and change the uh, national and, in fact, the global economy. Mm -hmm. And so being a business leader isn't as simple as I'm going to walk in and clean house because we're spending too much money. Dang it. And you know, and on and on it, there's a lot more to the story than that. And then there's all the social issues and concerns. And then there's dealing with uh, foreign powers, which America has done better or worse than radically dependent on who the president is at mm. the time and how they react with uh, uh, different nations and the goings on that are there. Uh, America's involvement in wars have been very dependent on who the president has been and the, their leadership. So there's so much more to it than just Iran HP was a multi-billion dollar company and I want to be president now. And by the way, I'm a girl. Right. That's the extent of the sales pitch to America that I've seen at this point. Well, anyway, Carly's not too impressed with what we do online either. She was quoted as saying 85 to 95% of what we do online is probably superficial and useless. Um, I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm not going to argue, actually. <laughs> it's, I mean, maybe that percentage is a little high for me personally, but I bet it's 75%. <laughs> but it, it does make me wonder how she, well she's going to resonate with the younger generation, if right. those are the kind of things she's throwing around. The online she's generation. Right or not. Yeah. You know, is what are the millennials now? Is that, is it the, are we past, past millennials? I don't know. Uh, Whatever. Post get off my lawn we're <laughs> we're in a post-millennial generation i don't know I, I don't see her making a whole lot of traction i don't uh, i i'm starting to think maybe she's just trying to make an inroad into politics in general yep because it's such a far-flung expectation to think that she would get the nomination first of all 
But you got to start somewhere. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to start somewhere. So, okay. Another thing that showed up on TechCrunch, uh, BioBots 3D printer. So this, okay. So we talked about a 3D printer a while ago that was cutting things out of felt. So this was a Disney product. Here's a 3D printer that uses a special ink that can be combined with biomaterials and living cells to build 3D living tissue and miniature human organs. As in, we're printing live stuff now um, with with this printer. And if you're thinking, I can finally print the girlfriend of my dreams. Um, no, it is not. It is not that yet. Not and, yet. And what they're saying, <laughs> <laughs> they're saying the use case at this point is for research and preclinical screening, such as drug testing. So think of it as like a replacement for animal testing. Oh, right. So you can see what a drug does to a liver or. Yeah, yeah, that or, kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and so it's it's possible that maybe someday it's going to be three D printing replacement organs from a person's own cells. Mm. They said that that could happen someday, um, but we're not there yet. So sure. it's a limited use case, but it's just kind of an interesting advance in technology. Yeah, uh, with I mean, three D printer. I know that we've we've had success or seen success, <laughs> not us personally, with printing heart valves and things like that. I've tried to print them. It never goes well. It didn't go well. Everyone sort of didn't make it. They all died. Actually, Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. (laughs) So (laughs) moving on, um, a, uh, there's a company called liquidity that has been working on a filtered, uh, water bottle and everyone's like, Oh, because we need more of those. We've never in the seen one of those before. But but here's the thing, and here's what's cool about it. Um, liquidity has gone to a lot of trouble to make a a membrane that has a, a pore size of 0.2 microns in width, and that is small enough to filter out yeah, the uh, uh, all sorts of microbes that are. It's the stuff that gets in water that makes you sick. I mean, 0.2 microns, unless I'm mistaken, I'm not looking this up right now, but 0.2 microns will catch viruses, I think. It's extremely, extremely fine. And the problem with these super fine filtering technologies in the past has been to actually get water to flow through them. Yeah, because it just takes so long to extrude it through. Meaning it's not user-friendly. Who wants to really deal with that sort of a headache? And so the magic here with Liquidity's bottle is it's doing not only that super fine filtering, 0.2 microns, the water bottle flows at nearly the same rate as those without a filter included. Oh, wow. How is this possible? Okay, and I'm reading from the article here. This is possible because the filter is made up of between 80 to 90% open space. So there's no pressure wait time required to move water through the membrane, making the product hugely convenient for consumers. So traditional membranes hover around 20% open space. Wow. So don't ask me to describe to you in three dimensions how something that can filter 0.2 microns is still 80 to 90% open space. I'm assuming that means the 0.2 micron openings are very close together. Maybe it just aggregates into. Well, however they did it, whatever the final is, and they did have some diagrams on the TechCrunch page that we'll link to in the uh, the show notes. Um, they, they, they described this a bit, but to, to get this job done, they had to create a whole new manufacturing process to pull this thing off. Um, so this, this is a big commitment here and this is a big thing. And I think this, if I remember right, liquidity actually won some sort of a prize at TechCrunch because it was so, so innovative. Uh, it sounds clever, amazing. So pretty cool. Yeah. All right. One more thing from TechCrunch. Uh, Nicola Labs is a company that has launched here. So this could have been in the present section or the future section. And as we decided to keep it in present because they have actually launched and here's what Nicola Labs is making. They have a special case for the iPhone six. Ooh, a case for the phone. But it's this is a really cool case. You've never heard of anything like this before. What it does is it converts the wasted 90% of the energy that the phone produces trying to pump out a cell phone signal, and it puts it back in the phone. And it powers up the phone, therefore, for about 30% longer. Huh. So it's actually – and again, this isn't a battery case, you know, like the Mophie cases and all that. Right. This is not that. Um, it works passively. And so the big idea here is it's harvesting the – RF energy that's in the air already being produced by the phone and just putting it back into the battery. Um, and they're, they're intending for this thing to be on the market within a year and they're launching on Kickstarter in about a month. So this is May figure about June. The uh, Nikola lab should be a Kickstarter project and they're hoping to do it for 99 bucks an entrant. And, uh, and from there they want to ship a working a product within four months that so, would be cool. That's a – I would like – I mean Nikola Labs, if you think about it, this goes back to Nikola Tesla. You had who, me at Nikola. He, <laughs> he proved that you could transmit electricity in Wireless. some form wirelessly. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a riff on that idea. Um, 
And uh, to me, it sounds like the kind of thing that ultimately maybe that could get built right into the phone itself and you wouldn't even need a case. Yeah, long term, I could see that happening. I mean, imagine the applications for this sort of technology. I mean, phones are an easy proof of concept, right? Sure. We got billions of them out in the world. Yeah, the install base is ridiculous. Therefore, let's make this thing work uh, in that application and then see what we can do on a larger scale. And honestly, at $99, that's fairly low dollar for what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. And, Money Mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let me go on Amazon here. Uh, so some nerd cred here. Nikola Labs uh, launched the product in the same building that Tesla himself lived and eventually died in. So, you know, Uber nerd feedback loop there. They went cool. all the Pretty way cool. with that. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our Death Watch section. So far, we've got... Uh, title the music service on death watch we've also put fm radio on death watch mm-hmm. this week i wanted to add popover ads these are the ads where you go onto a website mm-hmm. and an ad pops up you're reading you're reading along you get to paragraph three and then your screen your browser screen grays out and an ad shows up and they are just evil uncontrollable I really hate rage i'm okay <laughs> if you want to do a popover ad like at the bottom or out of the side yeah um that's fine as long as it dis- doesn't disrupt the content that i'm consuming that's the big thing for me it's when they stick it in your face and you've got to act on it, it just like even if it's just to close it oh it makes it's, me crazy if you can't just click off to the side and dismiss it and you have to click on this tiny little x in the corner it that drives me berserk and then the other one that gets me is if if it's a popover that prevents you from closing the tab. So, you know, sometimes you float your mouse off of the actual content area and you'll get a, oh, hey, I see you're leaving. Would you like to subscribe notification, which I'm sure people, oh, yeah, okay. But if that's generated by a script that's then going to block me closing the tab that I'm trying to close, I will never come to your site again. (laughs) I promise. You know, here's what's sad about that, because – Greg Farrow and I, Greg, my co-host on the Packet Pushers podcast, we've researched these things mm-hmm. and we both believe that they're kind of evil. But here's the weird part. It does drive subscriptions. So if like, say you want to have people subscribe to your newsletter, they bloody well work, but they're still so evil. Well, the, I want to see them die. And, and and the thing is, I don't have a problem if I can then if I can still close the tab, even though that popped up, it's when you slow me down from my workflow and mm-hmm. I can't either change tabs or close the tab until I dismiss a script pop-up. That's yep. what really kills me. Yep. I'm with you. At least be elegant about it. Give me the choice. So we're putting that on death watch. Just maybe, maybe it's wishful thinking on our part. It probably because, is, but, but dang it all. They won't, we want them to die. We want them to die. Please. All right. So that wraps it up for the present section. Let's move on to the past. And Eric, you'd submitted lunchbox portables oh yeah the lunchbox portable so back in the day uh some of you may know what we what we're talking about when we just say lunchbox portable it is not really a lunchbox size or weight but that was what it was affectionately nicknamed because it was sort of the shape of a lunchbox this thing the, the particular one that i had was made by compaq i'm not sure about you but uh this was a 286 in an enclosed case with a handle. The keyboard flipped up and, and clipped in. It had a, a screen that was just a beautiful – it was a thing of beauty. Orange, <laughs> four shades of Four color. shades of amber. <laughs> yeah, amber. Uh, it, it was actually a really interesting screen technology because it, it was actually a gas plasma display. Uh, which was different from, you know, there was at, at this point, laptops weren't really a thing yet. But as they became more and more prevalent, you had one of the big selling points. I remember in days of yore flipping through PC magazine and seeing, oh, this this has active matrix display. And, and oh, you're this bringing has, back memories. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? And this has passive and the passive is far cheaper, but, you know, the viewing angles weren't good and you couldn't really see it as well in the dark and and things like this. This thing was straight up just a gas plasma screen. You could see it from any angle. It was it was perfect. It was actually great for reading text on, as as you know. Now, the one I had was not it was also a 286. Um, It did not have a gas plasma display. I don't believe it. um, But it had the same kind of a form factor. It was this. 
and we're so used to laptops today, which are just amazing. You know, this was really a computer of traditional, all the same kind of card slots and, and form factor, but crammed in as tightly as they could at the time while right. still leaving room for airflow. Uh, so it's this big, heavy, clunky kind of thing with a, with this rigid re- – I mean, it was more like the size of a toolbox would it was, be a good yeah, way to like describe it. like a small it. suitcase or a toolbox, yeah. Yeah, so it was but, definitely – Portable, the thing, but it was a brick. Yeah, it was intended to. Okay, I can bring this home with me from the office, and yeah. then bring it to the office in the morning and work. Yeah, at yeah. the office, bring it home at night and work at home at night. You know, my my keyboard was one of those. Uh, it was a, a not as wide as a regular keyboard, but it had full size keys. Otherwise, it just didn't have like the extra cursor keys and the right. number pad and stuff. Yeah, and it it did flip up and lock into the case. So when the keyboard was in place, it would protect the screen. Yep. Now they had a, like a floppy drive on the side and a hard drive on the side, and these would have been big, big units, five um, and a quarter inch uh, drive oh, oh, yeah. for a few hundred bucks. And back in the day, I remember I spent extra to get the six forty, and then add the three eighty four k extended okay, sure. memory yep. for the total of one megabyte of, uh, of RAM. Yep, and then the hard drive was a big whacking. 40 meg and it was a decision point do i get the 20, 20 meg hard or drive yep. or 40 because it was like a lot more money to get the 40 oh, it was hundreds of dollars more yeah this is just to tell you how old i am yeah. that machine got me through four years of college and if you think about it it was it was responsive it was fast it was reasonable to use and the reason was it was running on dos right. there was no graphics no there GUI. was no windows there was no none of that so to use this thing uh you boot it up into dos and then you would fire up Word for perfect. me, for me, it was word perfect. Yep. I did a lot of word perfect, um, and that guy. I wrote a lot of college reports in word perfect on this thing. And when you're talking about moving around a, a report that's several k instead of many megabytes like we have today, yeah. I mean, you can't generate a word document without it being a few hundred kilobytes usually, at least. Yep. And, and as soon as you add anything else to it, now it's into into megabytes very quickly. Yep. Um, if you're only just moving around a few kegs, most of what you got there is text. It's ASCII. It's, it's yeah. a very usable system. Yep. And you connected it up to, uh, on a, with a parallel port to your dot matrix printer. And uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those yeah, are the good old days. 12 megahertz. 12 megahertz. Uh, I I only had the 640K on, on this particular lunchbox. Yeah, you were a have not. I was. I, again, you know, this is like my Commodore, though. I actually inherited it. My buddy's uncle ran a computer company here in Manchester, New Hampshire, that I think is no longer around, but maybe it's because they were giving away $5,000 computers to their nephews. Um, they they basically had these things sitting around, and I got it – You know, the 286 was old news at this point. The, yeah. the, four, the 486, and, and I, think, I think there was the Pentium on the horizon by the time I had this thing. But You're saying I'm older than you. That's what you're saying. You yeah, are. Rub it in, you're so old. Uh, I, I got this from my buddy who had gotten like two or three of them from his uncle's company that they were going to dispose of in some way, shape or form. But the thing is the, we only had a 286 at the house at the time. Mm-hmm. And so this was my own 286 mm-hmm. and this thing was my baby. Yeah. You know, I had the 20 meg hard drive, but a big, big baby. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a 20 something pound baby. Yeah. Um, the, the expandability on it was, was great though. Yeah. You could get a modem for it and that's where I used it mostly. Honestly, this is, this is the machine that got me into BBSs, ah. bulletin board systems for, for those who aren't aware. Um, there were a, n- a number of them in my area that at least weren't long distance. And uh, I want to circle back around to BBS games at some point in the future. Did you ever play these things? It's almost like like Zork or something. That would be a fun past segment to do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing this one. There's a few, few really good ones out there. I won't belabor the point now, but that, yeah, that, that laptop, (laughs) laptop, portable computer uh, was my first and got me into the the BBS scene. It, It was good times. Now, you found a story for our future segment about um, a carbon-neutral e-diesel that Audi has made, which I thought was pretty interesting as I, I read this. They, uh, they're they making carbon-neutral e-diesel from uh, carbon dioxide and water plus some kind of electricity process. Yeah. So this is um, this is actually really interesting. And what they're doing is, is basically they're using electrolysis here where they heat up water into – into steam because you know that's what happens and when it's heated and superheated to 800 degrees centigrade which is really hot that's real hot uh 
and hard to keep things at that temperature, but they, they are using heat recovery and they can keep this at about 70% efficiency, which mm-hmm. not bad. Um, it's good. At 800 degrees centigrade. Yeah, that's yeah. darn good. Yeah. So they, they then inject CO2 into the equation in some way, shape or form in a synthesis reactor under high pressure and high temperature merges into a hydrocarbon chain that can be refined. And this is called blue crude. So the article that Audi released doesn't exactly say what chemical composition this is, but standard diesel fuel is between C10 H20, which is cyclodecane Mm -hmm. and C15 H28, which I didn't even bother noting the (laughs) chemical name, Um, but it usually falls somewhere in between there. This obviously falls somewhere in there once it's refined down a bit. The liquid, it's almost interchangeable with diesel fuel. The efficiency of the process is somewhere around 70% of converting, you know, the base components into this blue crude, which is great. I mean, it's not, in other words, it's not taking us more energy than it, than we're getting back out of it. I mean, well, it's 30%. You're, you're losing 30%. Yeah. But if you're generating that 30% with renewable resources that don't create carbon, it's, well, th- it remains neutral. This is as opposed to uh, ethanol, I think, which is kind of inefficient to, to yeah. and uh, switchgrass and some of these other biodiesel types of fuels. It takes so much energy to to get fuel out of the plant that you're actually it's a, it's a negative. You're either spending so much time to do it that it's inefficient or you're spending so much energy that it's inefficient. You, you get less energy out of it than you put into the process to get that energy back. So if this Yay, is better corn than that, subsidies. Yeah, if yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, the whole idea here is that, you know, this can be created from 100 percent renewable energy. You scrub CO2 from the air, you capture CO2 from the air and use it in this reaction so that when it's burned, you've already taken it out on the front end. So when the carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere, you've already pulled it out on the front end. There's no net carbon footprint. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it's it's a really cool technology. Um, basically, it has the potential to completely replace diesel. But the problem is... Well, they, they were talking about it being being possibly burnable itself. Yeah. It, initially, they the, added the, the it. Blue, the blue crude before... Uh, right. Yeah. So they, they've been adding it to existing diesel fuel for use in, you know, the certain Audis that are able to use biofuel and, mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm, this. Okay. Um, but ultimately, it should be able to be used... Straight, no admixture, you know, no cutting it, things like that. So it's it's a very compelling idea. There are some pros and cons, as with anything. The the pros are obviously that it's potentially carbon neutral. You're hypothetically able to burn diesel without putting more greenhouse gases into the air. I'm noticing here it's sulfur free, so it doesn't stink. It doesn't stink. And and it doesn't have aromatics either. So no sulfur, no aromatics, so no diesel smell. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a faint hint of I want French fries. I, I don't know what. <laughs> yep. um, but it also has a very high cetane rating, which for, for those that aren't familiar is basically the diesel equivalent of octane. So it's a uh-huh. measurement of how uh, explosive it is when pressurized and having oxygen injected. And in theory, you, so you get more bang per drop. Yeah, you, you can will. actually get more horsepower out of it than a standard diesel fuel. Yeah. So in theory, if your engine was computerized appropriately, you could could, could burn less of it to have the same amount of power. Exactly. Uh-huh. And thereby get more mileage. So what are so, the downsides yeah, of this thing? The downsides are, I mean, you're still going to have to ship this stuff. So all the current issues with shipping diesel fuel or crude exist because – right. It's still a long chain hydrocarbon that is going to wreak havoc on any ecology if there's a spill. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's carbon neutral. So, I mean, it doesn't. It'll still put us kill. Worse off, but it's as, just as it's bad as anything yeah. else. It, yeah. It'll still, you know, hurt the baby seals and it, nah, not so not so hot on that front. But it ultimately is still putting carbon into the air. Carbon neutral or not, right. there's still carbon going in the it, air. It's not carbon negative, right? And at best, it's carbon neutral because if it's if the energy used to produce it is generated by coal or some other uh, carbon releasing method, mm-hmm. then it's still putting carbon ultimately into the air. Granted, it would be a lot less than straight diesel that you know is refined out of the ground, uh, but it does require 100% renewable energy to truly be carbon neutral. So, blue crude from Audi. 
I guess would be maybe the easiest thing to search on if you want to read about more about that. That should turn up the uh, unique Google stuff. Yeah, that, and uh, currently the plant they have can churn out 186 liters um, a day. I guess it is. I, I don't know, but they're not. They're not actually producing at full. Yeah, it's not, a proof of concept. Right, right, right. right. Um, but very interesting stuff, and ultimately, hopefully diesel and, and gasoline won't be a thing for much longer because I am pro-electric, but that's just my my bent. So well, we're going to talk about that. I know you've been shopping for electric cars. That's a, a topic for another day. Yep. Micro wind turbines you also found, which I'm listening to that going micro wind. I'm imagining something very small and generating <laughs> wind that I can't see or something. What is this? What is it? A wind turbine for ants? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is this is an article I found on Clean Technica. Uh, we'll, we'll post it in the show notes. But my wife actually sent me this and said, "Hey, I th- I thought you'd think this was interesting." And I was like, "By golly, I did." This is a bladeless micro wind turbine. Now, micro wind turbine, like you said, gives it, gives a mental image of yeah. really really small. Well, these are still actually quite tall, um, but they're bladeless, so that you don't have these. You know, oh, so this is something I can see. It's just not the monsters that – like if you've ever seen a wind farm where the, the blades can be you know, 20, 30 feet. Even and, more sometimes and, and some, on the really big ones, yeah. And there's three blades. You can see them from a long ways away and they make a lot that? of noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen smaller ones too that might you know the blades might be a foot and a half or two feet and uh, you know like they use those up in the White Mountains on some of the sure. the huts the yep. uh, Appalachian Mountain Club huts have these little wind turbines up there they don't generate much juice but it's they're in, for they're a, in a good people. spot yeah. and yeah so this these are you know these are relatively tall but they're they're not ridiculously tall the biggest thing about them is that they're they're slightly conical so they're you know they get a little bit fatter as they go up but they. They don't measure but a couple of feet wide at the most. Okay, so it's still a physically significant thing, but again, the fan or the bladeless design, they're rotating in in the wind without blades, but with this cone shape. Well, here's the thing: is they don't actually rotate; they oscillate. So, if oh. if you've ever seen the iconic uh, video footage from the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapse back in the '40s, it's uh, it was nicknamed Galloping Gertie. Okay. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, but, it doesn't ring a bell. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. So there, were, the way this bridge was designed, uh, basically vorticity ripped the thing apart. So they, you know, opened it up and people started going across it. But then there was this wind event mm-hmm. that created these, you know, tiny wind vortices that the the entire bridge just started rocking and okay. you're seeing yep. you're seeing concrete and iron go move like water. Basically, mm-hmm. I do kind of remember this now and, and, and structurally the whole thing failed. You, you may have seen it in an old pioneer ad or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah. So the thing just finally collapsed. And so this the inventors of this were watching footage from that and saying, well, geez, we could harness this. And so the big uh-huh. thing was, how do we harness this? And so in other, words, in other words, we know why this bridge collapsed because of these little micro uh, um, vortices right. that caused this bridge to rock. In other words, okay, if uh, if there's enough energy that can be formed from moving air to cause a bridge to collapse, there should be a way we can turn that into an energy source. Yep. And so when you apply that principle to a vertical micro wind turbine, what you start with is a pole-like structure that sticks straight up into the air. But it doesn't need any blades or moving parts. No mm. moving parts. Mm-hmm. There's no ball bearings to wear out. There's nothing. It's oh. it's magnets, you know, barely separated. And as it oscillates, it moves the magnets back and forth. And it generates relatively low power. But the thing is, these take up so little area. And the the vortices are so small that you can stack them really close together. Of course, you can get really high density out of them, kind of like you can with a solar panel. Right. Because they don't have any moving parts either. So you can just, as long as you've got the land available to you, you can load them up with panels. You can load these things up side by side. Yeah. As opposed to a wind farm where you've got to have them significantly apart or along a ridge line or something like that. Um, the blades are so big, you can only put so many of them along in a line. Yep. With these guys... Uh, you you could fit dozens of them in the same land mm. area of one big wind turbine. I mean, but are they generating the same kind of power? Nowhere near. And okay. that's where micro comes in. Okay, I mean, okay. beyond the footprint of it, they're not generating the same levels of electricity, which is why you would need more of them and distribute. But 
with the the reduction in noise, the reduction in, mm. in land requirement, the the reduction in visual footprint because they don't have to be hundreds of feet tall for mm. this to work. Uh, you don't have to compromise your you know, visual, uh, you know, sometimes you drive through an area like, like here in New Hampshire, up in Plymouth, Tenny mountain, Tenny mountain has, I think 20 something wind turbines up there. That you can see from forever. And frankly, I think it's cool uh, driving through, but a lot of people say, well, there goes a perfectly good mountain view. Well, it's the same thing on vinyl Haven, Maine. Vinyl Haven mm. is a community that is, uh, an Island, uh, community off the coast you can only get there by boat and uh, one of the things you can see from the mainland is these massive wind turbines that they've put up on uh, on vinyl haven yep so for some people it is a it is a visual offense it's, it's a polarizing thing for sure and this mitigates a lot of that because they can be down below you know the tree line and still generating electricity you know mm. they're not going to generate they need as, a wind profile right but, you need a wind profile but they could be low enough that you wouldn't see it from 20 miles away or right, 15 right, right, miles right, right, away. Right, sure. Um, it, so it's, it's a really compelling concept at least they're, they're not ready for mass production at this point, but uh, micro wind turbines aren't a new thing. There are actually some on the Eiffel tower. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't either until I read this article. Um, there, there are a few on the Eiffel tower. It's one of the most populous tourist destinations in the world. And it has a pair of high visibility vertical micro wind turbines mm. integrated into the, the tower itself. So the concept itself isn't brand new, but this is sort of a new take on it. Um, it it's it's well, I, I like the no moving parts idea because uh, I know that uh, regular wind turbines have a lifespan that you have to replace ball bearings and you have to replace blades and you have to replace you know all the things that spin and turn over time. Uh, wear out and and require replacement, and and that's one of the other things about these is the the parts that are used are so frankly low tech that it's re- it should be relatively inexpensive to replace or repair anything mm. on it that would actually be damaged because it's essentially a sail wrapped around a cone and it just sort of flaps back and forth in the wind. You know, I like it. It's really really cool, guys. Definitely check it out. I like it. So there we go. Citizens of Tech show number three with present, past, and future. And uh, just a reminder that we're looking for your good book recommendations. Anything you got to share with your fellow citizens, let us know. Tweet it to us at Citizens of Tech. We just built the Twitter account today. So if it looks like it's kind of an unlived in house, that's because it's an unlived in house completely (laughs) and entirely. We just created the account this morning. So. Thank you very much for listening to Citizens of Tech. Follow the show at Citizens of Tech. Tell your friends um, about the show. We'd appreciate that. We're going to keep the show on the Packet Pushers Incubator here, the community channel, for the first 10 shows or so. And then we're going to step out on our own. Um, Already there's 4,500 of you that are listening. That is a great start. We are very pleased about that. And we will see you next week. Yes, indeed. Have a good week, everyone.